0: sermon podcast of antioch church in colorado springs if you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in colorado springs you can give online at our website antiochcos.com we hope that the lord ministers to you through this message hey if you have your bibles turn with me if you would to the book of first samuel first samuel chapter 18 We're going to be talking today and for the next few weeks about how to be a good friend. How to be a good friend. And I am going to resist the temptation this morning to frame this in the larger context of church and fellowship and community and kingdom and societal issues. Some of you may recall several months ago, uh, particularly on the heels of some of the national situations that were happening here that my first foot forward was that the church's answer to the brokenness of our society is to be a good friend, is to establish genuine, authentic, righteous friendships where we care about the situations of our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors. And all of the messages, whether you realize it or not, that have been taking place over the past four months have been leading us into a greater understanding and a greater posture to become better genuine friends one with another. And the idea behind that, the thesis behind that very simply is your community is only as strong as your friendships. Your church, our church, will only be as strong as the genuine friendships that comprise this church. So today and for the next few weeks, as we move our way closer towards hospitality and we move our way closer towards a theology of the table and why that is so important in our lives, and our community, we're going to talk for a few weeks on very simply how to be a good friend. So Father, today we pray for the inspiration, the illumination, the guidance, the conviction, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray today that this wouldn't just be a good talk. Father, we ask for the anointing of God to rest upon every single one of us, me as the speaker and every single one of us as the people who are engaging father this is a mutual activity that is taking place right now we are pulling on the anointing we are hearing we are engaging we're receiving and father today we pray for an openness in the atmosphere an openness in our spirits and in our minds and father we pray that at the end of this that your church the church of jesus here antioch church god that we would grow into men and women who are good friends, just like you, Jesus. were the ultimate friend of humanity. We pray these things together in the name of Jesus. Amen. I had a lunch several years ago. This is probably now over 20 years ago. I had a lunch with a friend of mine who is a pastor of a very large church in California. And I was taught as a young kid that anytime you're around someone who's even a few steps ahead of the road of life, to always be prepared to ask them good, meaningful, substantial questions, to never pass up an opportunity to garner wisdom. I remember teaching a young group of leaders several years ago that wisdom is held up in the heart of people, and that a well-crafted question is like the key that unlocks wisdom from the hearts and the lives of people. And so I happened to be sitting with a pastor that I really respected and looked up to, And I noticed because I have watched his life from afar for many, many years, I noticed that in his stories and also in the guest speakers that he had brought in and in uh, the actions that he had taken that this man had a lot of friends. In fact, we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the time. He had come out to speak at a missions training camp that I was directing. And while he was in Tulsa, it was late at night. Uh, He had already spoken at camp Our camp was about an hour away, maybe an hour and 15 minutes away from Tulsa. So I drove him back an hour and 15 minutes away from Wagner, Oklahoma to Tulsa, and it was about 10.30 at night. And as I was dropping him off at the hotel, he was on his phone, and he was calling the son of another one of his friends. And I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, what what do you do, Do do you need anything? Uh, is there anything i can help with is everything okay he says yeah absolutely he says while i was out at camp i got a text message from my friend that his son was going through a difficult time and while i'm here in tulsa even though i'm flying out tomorrow and it's late tonight i wanted to connect with my friend's son so on another trip i sat down with this man and i said i notice you have a lot of friends and i just as a young man and as an only child and as a military brat. So that's a perfect storm, right? For not really having a good circle of friends, potentially. I said, I wanna know how to be a man who has friends like you. And I was waiting for some real deep, complex explanation. And here's what he said. He said, you know, I just determined long a time ago that if you want a friend, be a friend. If you want a friend, be a friend. It's not really that complicated. And the goal of the series and the goal of this message and the goal of the idea of godly friendship is not that we amass a ton of friends. That's not the goal. The goal is not how many people are our friends on social media. That's not the goal. The goal is not how many people can we look through and say, oh, look at my list of friends. That's not the goal. The goal is what kind of person will you be And will I be? Because if you want a friend, be a friend. There are choices that you and I can make to become the kind of person. And this is how the kingdom works. This is how life works. That if I just focus on being the kind of friend that I want to be, then I'm going to have friends. I'm going to be able to nurture and cultivate friendship in the people that are around me. Now, here's why this is so important because you cannot control the decisions of others. You cannot control the decisions of others. In fact, I'll say it like this, you can be the best friend on the planet, and someone may never receive that, and someone may never reciprocate that, because you cannot control the decisions of the people that are around you. There's this scene in this movie that I really like called The Count of Monte Cristo. If you haven't seen it, it's a little heavy on the revenge side of things, but uh, outside of that, there is some redemption in the movie if you watch it. And there's this scene, so, you know, the leading figure is this, is this poor man, and it seems that he has everything that's going for him. And one of his friends in the movie is the son of a duke. He's a very rich man, and he ends up betraying this poor boy. And while he's being carted off to prison, he's screaming out of this mobile prison. And he's saying, why have you done this? Why have you done this to me? And he just says, it's complicated. It's all he says to me. It's complicated. And that's true. The human heart, the human psyche, brokenness, woundedness of life, rejection, abandonment, jealousy, envy, all of these things that work in the human heart, wounds that have been undealt with, these things become complicated. You've been such a good friend to me. Why are you not reciprocating this? It's complicated. It's very complicated. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that complexity? What do we do with that level of complication? We have to determine what kind of people we will be despite the decisions that other people make. Friends, I want you to note today that there will be some people that will prove to be friends for life. If you, if you find a friend, and I have looked back now, and there are certain men in my life, even women in my life, that have been friends for in my life for upwards of 26 to 35 years 26 to 35 years they have proven to be good honorable faithful supportive friends in my life and they're an incredible gift I've realized though because again remember I was an only child and we moved around every two to three years so I expected every friend that I that I had to be a lifelong friend and I remember I had this really, really good friend in college and he said to me, he said, Jade, some friends are for a lifetime. And he said, some friends are for a season. And I really had a hard time with that. I couldn't wrap my heart around that. But I've come to learn now that that is true. There are some friends that are for life. And we don't know if those friends are gonna be for life or not. I have had friends in my life that I thought, we're, we're gonna go to the grave together. Like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna raise our kids together. We're going to be tight, deep-knit, covenantal, committed friends for the rest of our lives. And it just wasn't so. It wasn't the story. The thing is, you never know whether someone's going to be a lifelong friend till the end, to the end of your life. And you can't control that. I can't control that. All we can control is what kind of friend will you choose to be to the people that are around you. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, if you're not there, we're gonna begin with verse one. When you think of friendship, particularly in the Bible, there's not a ton of examples of friendships in the scripture. But if you think about Bible and friendship, Bible and friendship, there's one particular friendship that comes to mind, David and Jonathan, David and Jonathan. So we're gonna pick this story up at 1 Samuel chapter 18. Beginning in verse one, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. These are all very important statements. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant, which very simply means an agreement. He made a promise. He gave David his word. He made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. He made a covenant because he loved him. He made a promise because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic. He gave him his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay, Let's go. Let's have some fun here. The thing, the first thing that you need to realize here is that friendship is the relationship that every human being will touch and experience in their lives. You may be a single person right here today, and you may not have experienced yet a marriage relationship, but you will experience if you haven't many friendships. You might be a son or a daughter here who had a broken or an estranged relationship with your father or your mother, but you will experience friendship. You may be a married couple and may not have the joy of having kids right now, but you will experience friendship. Friendship is the one relationship that no matter what season or stage of life we're in, every one of us will touch and experience friendship on some level and i will say that as we understand the principles of friendship it will affect every one of our relationships your marriage is only as good as your friendship your relationship with your children or with your parents or with your roommates or with your co-workers are only as good as your ability to walk out good friendship principles so Here in the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18, for those of you guys who aren't aware, who is David and who is Jonathan? We'll start with David. David was a young man who was a shepherd at the time, and he was one of the youngest in his family. In fact, there's a story just a couple of chapters prior where there was a prophet in the town who comes to David's family, and he's ordered by God to anoint the next king of Israel. And this is who David is. This prophet comes to David's family, and he goes to every one of David's brothers besides him. He was a young man and he was overlooked. He was an underdog. He was faithful to the Lord in quietness and obscurity, but in terms of like sizing guys up going, oh, that's a leader, that's a leader, David didn't fit the mold. We find, though, that David is faithfully taking care of his father's sheep. And he finds out one day that there's a major battle that's going on. The nation of Israel is fighting against the nation of the Philistines. And the Philistines have this fearless soldier on their team. What's his name? Goliath. Most of us know the story. Probably the VeggieTales virgin. It's okay, (laughs) as long as you get the concept here. And so David comes in 1 Samuel 17, and to make a really long story short, David, David slays this giant. There's no reason why he should be able to, but by the power, the anointing, and the grace of God, David slays this soldier. And then we find out that David takes this soldier's sword, and what does he do with it? He cuts the head of the giant off. So I'm just saying all this so that you understand that in 1 Samuel chapter 18, When David rolls into the royal court and Jonathan sees him for the first time, what is David looking like? He comes straight from the field, working with sheep. He goes straight from the field to the battlefield. In fact... On his way to the battlefield, the king says, hey, let's clean you up a little bit and let's make you look a little bit more dignified and let's put you in my armor and make you look like a real soldier. And David says, this doesn't fit. This isn't who I am. This isn't right. So he disregards all of that armor and goes straight from the sheep field to the battlefield and he's fighting a battle. He's exerting energy. He's musty. He's sweaty. And then he cuts off a bloody giant's head and this is the first time he sees Jonathan. Jonathan. What's up, dude? Rolls into the royal court, stanky, sweaty, and got a bloody head in his hand. Who is Jonathan? Jonathan is the king's son. Jonathan is royalty. Jonathan hasn't been on the battlefield. What's Jonathan doing? We don't know. We just know he's not been on the battlefield. Jonathan was a warrior too, though, because we find in other... Other stories in 1 Samuel, there's this amazing story where the armies of Israel are fighting another battle, and Jonathan, with his courage, turns to his assistant, his armor bearer, and he says, hey, dude, we can take these guys. In fact, let's just play a little gamble here. Let's just crawl up this ravine and, and climb up, and I tell you what, like if, if they say, come on up here, the Lord has given them into our hands and we're gonna fight these guys. Now, if I'm the armor bearer, I'm thinking to myself, nah, there's, there's hundreds of guys up there and you're basing our victory and our survival and our life on whether or not they want to invite us up to just chit chat with them. But yet the armor bearer follows Jonathan. So we know that Jonathan is a man of courage. And we also know as we read the rest of Jonathan's story that Jonathan was a man who was devoted. And so today, I want to frame our talk around this idea that to be a friend, you have to be a devoted person because there's going to be opportunities in your friendship. There's going to be opportunities in your business relationships. There's going to be opportunities in your marriage where you are going to hit obstacles, where you're going to hit conflict. You're going to hit disagreements. You're going to get offended. You're going to get upset. You're going to hit idiosyncrasies you're going to find yourself saying did i make the right choice when i married this person you're going to find yourself going what's the way out of this friendship what's the way out of this church this is just this is not something that none of us are not prone to we are all prone to experiencing the the fray of relationship to where we ask ourselves the question do i want to stay in this do i want to be devoted But look at what Jonathan does right here from the very get-go. It says, as soon as he sees David, bloody, sweaty, stanky guy, rolling up into the royal court, there was something on a spirit level. There's something on a spirit level that attracted Jonathan to David. Now, I think that we can have friendships that are built solely on the flesh. And I wouldn't call... Those aren't the friendships I'm talking about today. Because whatever is built on the flesh must be sustained and maintained by the flesh. And it will only produce fleshly reward. Let me explain it like this. So let's say for those of you guys who are single, let's use myself as an example prior to meeting Christy. My criteria for whether or not I wanted to engage in a relationship with a young female was totally fleshly are you guys tracking with me right and you got to be careful about this because if your attraction to a relationship is only based on the flesh i like what they look like i like their personality i like how athletic they are i like their body i like their smile you have to understand that that relationship can only be sustained and maintained by those things and if you are gonna have a romantic relationship with someone that is only based on the flesh, let me just give you a little bit of insight, that will change over time. All right, we can also build relationships on the soul. You guys know what I'm talking about? I feel, so, I feel so emotionally satisfied when I'm around this person. I feel so intellectually engaged. They're such a great conversationalist. They're so funny. They make me laugh. These are all soulish attractions. And if you build your friendship or your relationship on the soul, it has to be maintained and sustained by the soul. What happens when you keep reading and they stop reading and they're not intellectually captivating anymore? What happens when they don't have you all up in your fields anymore? What happens when you actually grow up emotionally and you start to mature And they're not not rubbing you the right way emotionally anymore. Thank you, Johnny Gill. You know what I'm talking about here? What happens? What happens when there is no longer that emotional attraction? Intellectually, emotionally, what happens? What do you do? I think that there are spirit to spirit friendships. This is why the scripture talks about not being unequally yoked. That. When you enter into a relationship with someone, there is a yoking that takes place. And you have to ask yourself, am I just yoking myself up physically? Am I just yoking myself up sexually? Am I just yoking myself up in my mind, in my fantasies, in my imagination, in who I desire this person to be? Am I just yoking myself up emotionally? Or is there a spirit yoking that god is orchestrating and appointing in this relationship are you guys with me this morning are we tracking together how is it that the son of a king and a sheep herder how is it that the moment they lay eyes on each other something happens i want to share with you today i don't think it was just a physical attraction in a healthy sense I don't think there was a a physical connection that was taking place there. I don't think it was just a soulish connection. Man, this dude was a powerful warrior. I'm a powerful warrior. I think that there was a spirit to spirit. This is what we call a kindred heart. This is what we call divine connections. And there was something about the spirit of David and the spirit of Jonathan. It's like it's like a tuning fork. It's like there was something in both of their spirits that when they got around each other, I can't explain it. I've just met you for the very first time, but something in my spirit, man, is leaping right now when I'm with you. You're, You're calling to something in my spirit. And that's why Jonathan says to David, that's what the scripture says. Look right here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 2. From that day, Saul kept David with him, did not let, return, let him return home. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David. Covenant is big language for those of you guys who are not Hebrews. For those of you guys who didn't grow up in the Old Testament Jewish culture, which would be none of us, right? Covenant is big deal. Covenant means, listen, I'm entering into such a deep level of promise with you that if you break this relationship or I break this relationship, then our lives will be taken from us. It's a big deal. You don't throw around covenant lightly. And so when Jonathan sees David for the very first time and he says, there's something about what God is doing here spiritually that I am willing to enter into a devoted, committed, covenant friendship with you and if it's built and predicated upon a devoted character a devoted character a steadfast covenantal committed character and jonathan then expresses this devotion by an exchange he ratifies the covenant with a trade in fact he ratifies the covenant with giving And it's not a trade, actually, because David doesn't give anything back. And what are these things that Jonathan gives? Number one, take a look right here. He gives David his robe. Any idea, just conceptually, just off the top of your head, what a robe for the son of a king might stand for? Anybody? Just shout it out. Yeah, exactly. This was Jonathan's access to the royal court. This was a sense of Jonathan's identity. Remember, there was this guy in the Old Testament. His name was Joseph Joseph and he was set apart by a robe that was made of many colors. And there was something about Joseph who being a son of multiple brothers, 11 other brothers, and yet when Joseph rolled up on the scene and people saw him, what did they see? They saw favor, they saw blessing, they saw that he was the beloved of his father. How did they know that? Because Joseph's robe looked different Joseph's robe had more care that was given to it. Joseph's robe had attention to detail. Joseph's robe was given especially to Joseph, so much so that when Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, they knew, they knew we've got to take this robe and we've got to rip this thing up and dip it in blood and bring it back because no one else can wear this robe because this is Joseph's robe. This is favored robe. You guys with me today? So then Jonathan takes royal robbery off of him and his tunic. And he says, I am giving to you what has been given to me by right of my identity. I am giving to you my royalty. I am giving to you what has been conferred upon me. I am giving to you the status of my sonship. You know what happens in friendship? What happens in friendship, and you you guys, listen, you got to hear this because... I think what we have done in our culture is I think that we have inadvertently turned every form of human relationship into how does this benefit me? From our marriage relationships to our children, to our churches, to our networks. And if we really sit back and examine it, you guys, it's pretty disgusting when you enter into a relationship really solely for how does this relationship advance me? What kind of doors does this relationship open for me? What kind of opportunities does this relationship open for me? That's not friendship. And here, look, the scripture says right here that Jonathan made a covenant because he loved him. You cannot have healthy, holy relationship if it doesn't begin with divine love. If it does not begin with the resource that is beyond yourself, If it doesn't begin with God, give me the grace and give me the resource and give me the ability to love this other human being the way that you love them. I've said this before here from this very stage. Guys, as much as I love my children, as much as I love my wife, I cannot love them without the love of God in me. It is impossible. The best I can do is a soulish love built on the flesh built on physicality built on the soul built on the strength of my will that's the best i can do i need the resource of heaven i need a holy love so jonathan as a statement of his devotion as a statement of his friendship says i am giving to you my identity i'm giving to you my sonship i'm giving to you my royalty i'm giving to you my status we see this played out in marriage relationships those of you guys who read People Magazine and you watch the royal wedding and you just, you just followed that thing, right? The son, the son of a king, the prince, when he marries another woman, she is now a princess. She's royal by virtue of the covenant that they entered into together. And the point here being is this, is that when you achieve certain things in your life and you enter into a friendship you are making that available to the friend that you enter into relationship with. The network of friends, the network of work, guys, let me, let me, let me phrase, let me just get really real, 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 right here, okay? I've been in this church for 16 years. I have, poured out, I have poured out sweat and I have poured out tears, not blood yet, but I have labored. I have wept over this house. I have gone through sacrifices in this house. I have come up against the wall in this house. And when I enter into friendship with someone, they have access to everything that I've purchased by the grace of God over these past 16 years. Is that making any sense at all? Right? And so we open up doors for the people that we enter into friendship with, and we do it generously and we do it graciously because that is a part of expression of our devotion one to another second thing that jonathan gives to david is he extends to him not only his robe and not only his tunic but he gives him his sword Do you know what the sword was the sword in the old testament soldier's arsenal was the only offensive weapon that they had and it was used in two functions it was used to fight their battles offensively and it was used to protect themselves I want you to think about what a sword looks like in your own life. What is it that you use to defend yourself and to protect yourself and to fight your battles? There's many things that we can say about the sword, but the sword speaks about the vulnerable issues in your life. The sword speaks to that level of closeness it speaks to those things your humanity it speaks to those things inside of you that if somebody knew about you they could use those very things against you you understand what i'm saying here if people really understood what i struggled with if people understood my idiosyncrasies if if people understood what, what i'm working to to mature in in god once you disclose that to someone it becomes a weapon in their hand and they can either use that knowledge to protect you or they can use that knowledge against you. It's a sword. And Jonathan was communicating to David, I am going to enter into vulnerability with you. I am going to lay down my guard. Listen, friends, you cannot enter into real friendship if your sword is always up. You cannot enter into a depth of friendship if you always have to put your best foot forward. You cannot enter into intimate friendship if you always have to have your stuff together. I'm not saying this happens immediately. What happened with Jonathan and David was supernatural. But I'm saying that over the course of time, as trust is established, that over the course of time, as God begins to cultivate healthy, holy intimacy, that there should be a mutuality and there should be a reciprocity. That just means there should be an exchange of vulnerability one with another. Pay attention to the friendships if you're doing all the disclosing. Pay attention to your friendships if, if you're the only one that's bearing your weaknesses and your friend is never disclosing their weaknesses. They're never disclosing what they're struggling with. They're never disclosing uh, what, they're, what they're wrestling with in life and with God because if that's one-sided they've not given you their sword and if it's one-sided the relationship is not going to grow it's going to hit a wall the last thing that we see and i think this is interesting because jonathan it says not after only giving him his robe and then he gave him his sword it says he gave him his bow and his belt and i'm going to talk very very quickly about both of those the bow was the weapon of provision. It was the tool of provision. Yes, it was used in battle, but it was also used to provide. And there is a provision that friends bring to one another. I'm not just talking about gift giving. I'm talking about even a provision that is beyond materiality. I'm talking about there is, there is a sustenance that we receive. There is a life, there is a joy, there is a grace, there is a strength. That we receive there is a provision that we receive and jonathan was saying david i am covenanting i am promising with you that i will be available to you that when you're going through a difficult season in your life i will be provision for you that i will allow god to use me as an instrument of provision in your life and i am demonstrating that by giving you my bow and the thing that i use to provide for myself i am allowing an openness of vulnerability and need I am saying, will you also, will you also be provision for me? I'm not gonna just, I'm not gonna just be my own provision. I'm going to allow you to provide for me. I'm going to allow myself to need your voice in my life. I'm going to allow myself to need your strength. I'm going to allow myself to be weak knowing that there are gonna be moments when you're strong and I'm gonna need the provision of strength that you bring into my life. And then finally, he gives him his belt. And the belt in the soldier's arsenal was what snapped everything into position. The belt fastened the lower part of the armor and the upper part of the armor, and it brought everything together. And there was a, there was a sound, there was a clicking, there was a provocation, there was a, there was a provoking unto life and mission. And Jonathan said, here, I'm giving you my belt. I'm giving you the thing that pulls it all together. And many of you may remember that in Ephesians chapter 6, the scripture tells us that in our spiritual warfare arsenal, there is what is called the belt of truth. Jonathan is saying, David, I'm going to enter into a friendship with you, and I promise to tell you the truth. I promise to provoke you unto truth. That when you see this belt and when this belt snaps together, when it clicks together, this, this, this armor that we put on, there is a sound that this belt makes that lets you know that we are in a fight and I'm in the fight with you. And the way that we win this fight is with our honesty and our transparency and our truth one with another. It's the belt of truth. You cannot have true, authentic, honest long-standing friendships without truth telling you have to tell the truth and you have to be someone who can receive the truth the scripture says in proverbs that the wounds of a friend can be trusted jonathan if you would come on up this morning friends my hope and my prayer is that through our journey in the scriptures in the next several weeks together that we so allow the Holy Spirit to provoke us, that we allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to heal us, that we allow the Holy Spirit to spur us on and that Antioch become a fellowship of friends, that Antioch become a place where holy, godly friendships are being made that are a witness to the world. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit antiochcos.com.